We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Libby. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a late Sunday night? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. It is our Sunday baseball conversation with Colin Brister. Ole Miss drops two of three at South Carolina in a frustrating series that highlighted a lot of the flaws of this team as well as some managerial decisions that you could say you know, indirectly cost them the third game, one that they certainly had to win on Saturday. We got into a lot of that. I know the, uh, in terms of listenership, the uh, pitchforks are probably circling to some degree. Um, I know I mentioned that uh, on the internet on uh, after the Saturday game that we were going to go hot board season. We didn't really do that. We, you know, this team is still mathematically – in NCAA tournament contention to make the tournament. We still got plenty of time for that. We did, you know, as we do every week, kind of paint the big picture and how each loss and each series loss fits into the big picture and got into some of, uh, you know, what may come down the road. But if you're looking for a, uh, you know, complete hot board session for an hour and a half, this is not the podcast for you, but we got into this team's underlying issues. The, uh, the uh, horrendous managerial decisions, I would say, um, on the Saturday game, particularly late, to where Kemp Alderman was somehow catching the ninth inning with Drew McDaniel pitching. Everything that happened this weekend, where this team goes from here, and uh, this it, this uh, path to the NCAA tournament that seems to be on life support in a series that could really put the final nail in the coffin next week. We got into all of that. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. Let's just get right into it. But before we get to that, I want to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, Glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. I told you the NCAA tournament was winding down, but Skybox wasn't winding down. First day of the NBA playoffs, they go two and one. Still waiting on the results from Sunday as I uh, sit here on a Sunday night, but they are absolutely crushing it. In that regard, their baseball package is coming down the pipe for May. The NASCAR package is off and running. You need to check them out. Um, whether it's month-long, week-long, whatever you the case may be, sports-centric, they're going to have a picks package to fit your price range. Trust me, you are going to want to check out Skybox Sports Picks. For all of your sports wagering needs, 
you don't want to be the guy, the man, the man's texting you on Sunday night asking you to square up. Sunday scary is already rolling. No one wants that. You want to be texting the bookie asking where your supplementary income is coming from. Scott Box is going to help you do that more consistently than anyone in the industry. Their method has been proven to withstand the test of time. I'm telling you, wherever you, whatever sport you're into, however your big your budget is, they're going to have a picks package that fits your price range. Check them out month-long, season-long. I'd recommend going with the year-long all-sports pass. It's going to pay for itself and then some. But if you're into sports wagering, particularly when we get into these, uh, I would say, more obscure sports before football season starts, Skybox is going to guide you to profit more consistently than anyone else. Use that promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off any purchase on the site. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. Right now, if you're a Rippy Rights subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me three to five times a week, working on the Monday edition as we speak, plus discounted meats. I'll let you decide which one's better. Right now, it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks, plus a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. Spring is here. Weather's warm. You're going to be wanting to throw stuff on the grill, probably watching bad baseball from Ole Miss, but at least what you throw on the grill should be good and make you happy instead of watching a frustrating brand of baseball on television. Greg's here to make your grilling experience great. You need to go in there, show and prove his subscription. He'll get you set up with that Rippy Wright special. And then go find all of your own favorites, whether that's the lane train special, got all kinds of Wagyu cuts. Greg is going to, if he doesn't have it, he's going to, get it for you, and or at least do everything he can to get it for you. Greg wants to make your grilling experience great. Oxford's so lucky a place to have a place like LB's. Check them out there, LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Been serving the greater Oxford area for over a decade now, and he wants to make your grilling experience great. All right, here's Colin Brister, Sunday baseball conversation that might be a little bit more of the smaller picture than some may want. But again, I remind you, it is still mid-April. And I felt like we did a decent job tying in the smaller picture and the bigger picture at the same time. So anyway, here we go. After a series loss that Ole Miss could not afford to lose, here is Colin Brister. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent, Colin Brister. We are here to discuss the day's NBA playoff action. Nope, we're here to discuss Ole Miss. I, I have a question. Yes. Since we're doing the introduction, did you start the introduction? Can the introduction song be taps? So I have a terrible intro. I'd I say that. I didn't, when I first started this Rippy Wright's podcast, remember I didn't have an intro. When it was the Rebel Report on Super Talk, we used to joke. Yeah, about some guy I'm like, Oh, yeah. They had a guy on retainer, like a freelancer, who they said was traveling Eastern Europe, which, uh, you know, fast forward four years later, that's not the safest place to be right now for a myriad of reasons. But remember, we joked about how apparently he's going to get me an intro, you know, summer of 2020 or whatever, back when that was 2018. Then I got one, obviously, a super talk thing happened. Point being, when I was starting the Rippy Rides from, I didn't have an intro. So old friend Ben Garrett actually helped me make the intro. And it was a little different, but it was better than anything I had. So if anyone out there, I guess what I'm saying, the nerds, and me when I'm good with tech stuff, if you want to make me an intro, I would play that intro and give credit. I am not uh, tied to this intro by any stretch. But to answer your question, can I do taps with like, – is there a copyright deal? How do I, how do I get that on? Like, how do, how do I do I think that? if you just, like, give – maybe if you just give credit in the description, maybe, maybe you're covered. I don't know. I just feel like taps would be fitting, uh, you know. <laughs> Yes, feels like an obit, right? I mean, this is we're here to discuss Ole Miss's series loss to South Carolina this weekend. A um, a perfectly maddening 
series for fans in a lot of ways, particularly with how that Sunday game unfolded. But just big picture, we talked about this on the Wednesday night, or I guess that ended up being the Thursday podcast. This was make or break. Is losing in a vacuum, if you'd have told me as they're going through the SEC schedule this year in the preseason, do they drop two or three at a South Carolina team that was you know, one of the worst offenses in the SEC and was near the bottom? Is that the worst thing in the world to happen to them? No, but given the position they put themselves in with these two home series and getting swept, this was make or break. And it was, we outlined it, right? Five and 10, it's going to be almost impossible for this current version of this team to make it in the tournament. Almost impossible, maybe a little strong. But point being, this was make or break and they broke. Yeah, it's a really good way to put it. It was make or break and um, they got no hits for the first four innings on Saturday. Um, and I, I know they wind up scoring the eight runs and whatever, but it's not good enough. And and that is an indictment on the coaching staff. Um, it's it's. I'll be honest. This is the I went through it. This is the first time all year I've watched every single pitch of all three games. Usually I'm able to do that uh, pretty much routinely, um, but this year you know with just basketball and baseball and all of that, uh, I haven't been able to do that. This is the first weekend series I've watched every single pitch and. Um, they're bad right now. Like, this isn't even uh, – well, they had some bad luck. and No, they stink. They do. Um, they, they are a bad baseball team. And quite frankly, uh, I think they're the second – this may be a little strong. I don't have any confidence saying they're better than anybody besides Kentucky right now. I think they're better than Kentucky. Past that, I can't tell you they're better than literally anyone else in the SEC. Yep. And on this, in the, in the same in the same light, I don't mean to like play devil's advocate because trust me, I, I'm with you. I think they stink too, but like on a given night, it wouldn't stun me that they beat anyone outside of Tennessee. Like there's spots, but that's kind of the like it's a bad baseball team, but it's like a competitive team, I guess. And that's not what this team was cut out to be. And I don't I don't even know if that adds any context, anything. I agree, they're bad because. They're so inconsistent. There's parts of them where you think, oh, okay, that's pretty good. The parts of the offense, you know, throughout throughout the year, you think, okay, there's that offense that you thought was going to be, you know, one of the better best in the sport. There's been small moments with the starting pitching. The bullpen's been up and down, but okay throughout the year. But none of those pieces gel enough together, and none of them work cohesively enough and are consistent enough to be considered anything but a bad baseball team. Like, you know. A, a team that shows flashes of goodness in three parts and small flashes is just that. They're just a bad team, and that's exactly what we have here. I don't think we need to overcomplicate it. And it's mystifying because outside of the pitching part of it, and more particularly the starting pitching part of it, there's not really an excuse for them to be bad. Like, they, they, nope. they shouldn't be this bad. And that's the nope. that's the confusing part about it. And that's, you know, I guess what we'll get into a little bit. I know we'll get into some of the big picture stuff as well because we know where this headed, but that's really just where we're at right now. That was a good litmus test. A decent team to good team wins that series, and they didn't do it. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll put it like this. A, 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 a tough team wins that series. And I've said that all year. Like, There's been games where it's just like, okay, you have to have this one, and they don't get it. They don't get it done. It, this series, you got to have it. They don't get it done. Um, and, and I'm not sure that you can change the identity of a team uh, with 15 games remaining in the SEC slate. Um, and it's it's as bad as I've ever seen it. I'll, I'll put it that way. At least with the 2017 team, um, they were young, and it was like, hey, these dudes are going to be okay. It's like, well, 
I look at these cats and like they're leaving. Um, and and so you're like, well, what what the hell's behind them? Um, so I, I don't know. It's as bad as I've ever seen it from a from a baseball standpoint. Look, they weren't very good in 2012 and 2013 and 2015. But they weren't um, in 2011. and you know 13, whatever. You know, what I mean, like that. Did you think those teams were going to be good? No, I didn't. Um, but it's just like those teams, at least, you know, they they were competitive every weekend. They were not competitive at the plate on Friday night against an average SEC on. There's been nights in this league with an offense that returned everybody off a really good hitting team um, that average SEC arms are just killing them. Like you look at the Thursday night or the Friday night against Kentucky. You look at the uh, Friday night against Alabama, and you look at the Friday night against South Carolina. Saturday um, against Alabama as well. Not Saturday. They ripped them up. It Excuse me. No, sorry, sorry. I keep these these Thursday, Saturday. Yeah. Trust me, Sunday. My bad. Sunday. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they just they get just overwhelmed by average SEC arms. It, it makes no sense. I saw this team light up Kumar Rocker at times last year. They beat Jack Leiter with their number four starter. Um, I, I just I don't get it. It's it's and I, I I wish I could. I'm being genuine here. I do not understand what is going on, um, and I can't even fathom a guess as to how it's gotten this bad. It's the why, right? Like I know what's happening. They're pressing. They're swinging at bad pitches. They don't want. Are they? So, I mean. Can you look at that McCants at bat? I can't remember which one it was. I don't necessarily that know. That was awful. And say that was competitive. You know what I mean? Like, the, the, okay, maybe on a large scale, I can't, that's probably too an inaccurate statement if you're making a blanket one swinging at bad pitches. But how do you explain the walk thing otherwise? Mike Bianco, I, had, I saw he had a quote. Chase put it in one of his observation stories this weekend about how they're, quote, not a team that takes a lot of pitches. Well, they were like third in the SEC in walks in conference play last year. And they're second to last this year. They drew seven walks this weekend, and four of them were by Jacob Gonzalez in the first game. Outside of Jacob Gonzalez, oh my the God. team drew three walks. They drew zero on Friday. They drew seven on the weekend. Think about that. And Gonzalez walked four times in the Thursday game. So everyone not named Jacob Gonzalez in 27 innings of baseball walked three times. It's unacceptable. And let's not pretend like South Carolina is a bunch of beats still on the mound either. Oh, I'm, um, I, I wish I'd found a second ago. Continue. I, I'm going to look up their walk numbers as a team in SEC play. I, I, what's sad about this weekend is outside of Saturday, they pitched it pretty well. I mean, Derek Diamond has maybe one of his better starts in, in his career, frankly, because um, I was yelling to get him out after the first time through the order, which, you know, he does give up the homer. They they pitched it okay um, on More Thursday than and Friday. series. Yeah, and that's what sucks is, like, you look back and we don't get to talk about Dylan DeLucia being awesome on Thursday because they blew it on Friday and Saturday. Dylan DeLucia was awesome on Friday night. One of the better performances I've seen in a long time. Um, and to add matter. to that, he was just as nails when the lead ballooned. And then sometimes it's harder to stay as sharp. Yeah. Like, he didn't really get that any chance to get that, let that get into the bullpen late and get weird. He That, that was yeah. – Put the clamps on that from start to finish. Just own them. Um, there's a lot of things that bothered me this weekend. That you know, Washburn obviously has the injury on Sunday or Saturday, excuse me. And you know, you you, you cater your lineup or your excuse me, your pitching rotation to 
hey, um, this team struggles against right-handed or right-handed pitchers. Well, the guy you bring in to replace your starter is a left-handed guy that can't break ninety. Like, like what are we, what are we doing? Um, you know, when when a Josh Mallets, and, and, you know, and I know obviously he had the tough tough day, but you didn't you didn't know that then. And Jack Doherty is down there, and and you know, it's just like I, they do a lot of things this weekend. He didn't, um, and I don't know what the deal is there, but I've thought he's pitched a lot better than Mike has given him credit for. He has. His um, defense has failed in the last two starts he's had. But to not pitch it all this weekend? I mean, we can get into this in a second. How does John Gattis pitch over him? Or, look, I, look, we, we get what we deserve for beating the Mallets from. But in that situation, if you really want to take out Brandon Johnson, why, why – I mean, it's probably a lefty-righty thing that I haven't looked into. But in terms of just pure trust, why is Hunter Elliott less trustworthy given the way the season's played out than Josh Mallett's there? And I know that sounds hypocritical given the way we've kind of been like, why can't Josh Mallett's get a chance? And then he does. It doesn't go well, and I'm saying they should have thrown someone else. But if you can kind of see through the context of that, I'm not necessarily crushing the move. I'm just asking the question, why is why is he more trustworthy in that type of situation with, for all intents and purposes, your season on the line than a Hunter Elliott who you had start two of the last three SEC – or each of the last SEC. Uh, it's not even it, – you're right, but it's not even that to me. Brian, who did they throw in the bottom of the ninth inning? Drew McDaniel. They threw, they threw Drew McDaniel. In a started on Wednesday. Give up anymore. Tuesday. They threw Drew McDaniel. Why? That's as good as mine. Um, I don't know. It's it's as bad as I've ever seen it. And and I can't answer a lot of these questions. And you know, I I don't know. I, I've I've tried to kind of rationalize things over the past 24, 36 hours, and I I have no idea why they do some of the things they do. I have as much idea about managerial decisions as I have about why this offense that should be one of the best in the country, why they stink. Let's um, stick with that for a second because that's the interesting part of – I think that's – look, crush the pitching all you want throughout the year, not talking necessarily talking about this weekend, and you'd be rightful to do so, right? Ole Miss getting through two SEC weekends without having a guy see the sixth inning and only having one guy touch the fifth, you know, it's not great. It's, it's, I mean, you call it inexcusable, call it whatever you want, but there's been plenty of games – where their pitching has given them a chance to be so much better than five and ten. Um, it's the Sunday game against Tennessee. It's – I know this sounds ridiculous, but the pitching for five and a half or I think it was six innings in that Saturday game against Kentucky, I know that ended up going to nine to two. But, you know, that game was kind of there for the taking. Um, you know, pick either one of the first or third Alabama games. They were more than good enough to give you a chance to win. And they gave you a chance in – at least two of the games, I don't know how you would qualify game three. I thought they cobbled it together okay with Washburn going out. But let's be honest, was Washburn really, uh, you know, instilling any confidence in any of you out there watching for the five batters he did face? That was pretty shaky. So they gave you a chance in a number of these games, and the offense hasn't taken advantage. Like, I don't know, in my mind, if on a Saturday or a game two, excuse me, in the SEC – if Ole Miss pitching staff holds the opponent to four runs or fewer, or like five should runs, win. Ole Miss should win that game most of the time. And you know, there's been at least two occasions where that's happened this year, and they haven't won either of them. And so, um, I mean, credit to them. You know, they took advantage of Dylan Delusha's outing on against Kentucky in that opener. But did they really? Because the pitching really just completely won that game for them. They didn't take advantage of that. They almost squandered it. And as we sit here and try to figure out why this team is in this position that it's in. 
this team was never going to be any good without this offense being really, really no. good. Even if the pitching had been average, it, this team is not constructed for that to be good enough. Last year they had Gunnar Hoagland and Doug Nikhazy for like 65% of the season and still needed the offense to be special just to get one game short of Omaha. No, that's exactly right. Look, this team was supposed to look like Arizona. Um, and in fairness, they do look like Arizona on the mound. The problem is they don't look like Arizona at the plate. Um, so I, it's, it's bad. And, and I, I know I keep saying that, but I don't know what else to say. Like we can read off all these statistics and their OPS against this and their OPS and SEC play. And like, it doesn't matter. They're not any good. I've got a couple um, more if you just want to do it. Two for 30 on Saturday outside of Elko. He's really good. He's he, having he the, is really if so anytime I hear someone like whether it's on the message board or elsewhere if you bring up Tim Elko's uh strikeout numbers you just kind of told on yourself the, the guy's having <laughs> an absurd year <laughs> and you're focused on how many times he swings and misses now the other parts parts of the offense could you harp on the strikeout sure but like he's in having an unreal season can you imagine this offense if he's not ridiculous if he's just good he's just good they're horrible <laughs> They're already bad. Like the Saturday yeah. that you're speaking of, I just went through it the other day. Chatagnier got a single to lead off the fifth inning on Saturday. Dunnar's got a hit. He did. No, he Friday. got a hit. But no one else outside of Tim Elko reached base on Saturday past the Chatagnier leadoff single. Wait, this is Friday, right? Sorry. Yeah, I did game two. I got to stop with the days because yeah. I actually spent most of uh, Friday, good Friday, thinking it was Saturday. I was looking at the PGA Tour event. I was like, they must have gotten washed out yesterday. It's only round two. And then I found out about 7.30 at night. It was Friday. Um, anyway, neither here nor there. This game two, after the Chardonnay's uh, hit single in the fifth, no one else reached base the rest of the game outside of Elko, and he singled and he homered. Yeah. If He's having the year we thought he would. And It doesn't matter. It hasn't mattered at all. That's how bad this offense is. And it's kind of – I mean, again, I keep saying the pitching woes aside, that's part of the equation here. But when you're looking, I mean, this team was ranked number one in the country, what, like 21 days ago, technically? I know they were about and, to get them out of the Yeah. I and at no point did I think they were actually – Me neither. Like, but I did think they were a top 15 team. I, I did. I didn't even go further than that. I thought they were top 10, top 7-ish. I knew they were one of the – like, I, I say I knew. I thought they were one of the, you know, six, seven best teams in the country. I thought they were a national seed, top eight. I figured that's a good way to put it. But and when you're looking at this – I mean, if you want to look at it from the lens of, like, the fall from grace from being number one in the country to last place in the SEC, it's the offense that's failed them more, has it not? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, quite frankly, I mean, you scored two runs on a Friday against an average SEC pitcher. Um, if you had offered Ole Miss, you know, hey – um, you're going to give up four runs on, in a game two before the year. It's like, well, we're going to win that 95% of the time because their offense is really, really good. Um, no, I think what I, I look back on this year, and if this goes how I think it's going to go, um, I'm going to put about 85 to 90% of, of the failure um, on the offense. I, you know, the, the pitching is what it is. I don't think, Frank, look, it's not good enough, but it's not far off from what I expected it to be. Um, 
I just expected the pitching to give the offense a chance. And had the offense performed like I thought it should and like I thought it would, the, 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 this would be a lot better team. I mean, this is if the offense was up to par, I think this is an eight and seven to nine and six yeah. SEC team right now. You took um, the words out, is out there. It's eight and seven, and you're talking about the pitching costing you a chance to be, you know, ten and five, nine and six, something like that. At yeah, that point, right? yeah. And, and nobody, look, people aren't happy at eight and seven, but nobody's like, you know, asking us to do a hot board yet either. Everything is still in front of you. Yes, yes. And but right now it's not. And to the Noah Hall, the guy they started on Saturday or Friday. Damn it, I keep doing this. Ever to his everlasting credit. He has put together four really good weekends in a row. He went six against Vanderbilt. Granted, they lost the game, gave up three earned runs, struck out six, walked five, went seven innings, allowed one earned run against Missouri, and then he struck out ten against Georgia last week and went seven. But, I mean, this is probably a theme. I don't think he's the first uh, the first um, guy that you can say this about. He set a career high in length against Ole Miss going seven and two-thirds, struck out five, zero walks. But the point being, he had been a little bit better but that's not a guy that should hold them to what two runs on however many hits in you know seven and two. Did, did you did you watch? Did you watch that game? So yes, I watched. I, I watched the first four innings and then was in and out on my phone. I was actually at an engagement party on Friday where everyone I say everyone I say most of the people in my corner or like the people I was talking to were either had it out on their phones or were like talking about it and I would say it was in and out I'd say the last five innings I wouldn't say I was locked in but I was watching it on my phone when I could he wasn't special there was a lot of fastballs over the plate that weren't getting swung at yeah he they would look at strike three fastballs over the plate because they were looking for off speed which was just annoying to me what is that Um, a sign of you you're coach baseball what is that a sign of I don't understand that is that's a good way to encapsulate it because I guess I didn't know what I was watching while I was watching it why is that? Um, I, it's a great question because it, it, that's an approach thing to me. Um, but is this it, – so it's hard for me because when you sit there and watch fastballs over the middle of the plate, then what that tells me is you're not good enough to compete against pretty decent breaking balls because what you're having to do is sell out for breaking ball and try to do something to it. Well, the reality is at this level, and frankly, at any level past about youth ball, and people shouldn't throw curveballs at youth ball anyway, but at any level, if you're looking off speed, guess what's going to happen when 96 comes over the plate? You're not hitting. Um, so I, I don't know. And maybe that's – maybe, you know, maybe I'm not advanced enough thinking. Maybe you have to sit on breaking ball at that level um, to have a chance, but I, I don't really think you do. Um, but But when – you repeatedly watch fastballs over the middle of the plate in two strike counts. Um, that's an issue, and 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 it's I don't know. It's that's not a good sign to me, at least. Derek Diamond was more than good enough in this game too. Sure, I was kind of wary about the second time through the order thing too. The home run, yes, he gave up a three run home run that bounced off the top of the wall, but like. If you want to say, if you want to have a poor luck aspect of this weekend, I felt like that was the one thing you could point to as poor luck because I don't know if you saw it. The hitter thought he flew out. The announcers thought he flew out too. The kid slammed his bat down. Diamond fist pumped his glove. I don't know if that was like an oh shit fist pump, but to me, given the way the rest of everyone else reacted, he thought he got out of the inning. 
And then all of a sudden, yeah. over the fence. I mean, did you see Kevin Graham's face afterwards? He was like, did I just hit the wall? What in the – like, what? So, what? here's my thing with that. You're, you're right. That's unfortunate. That's unlucky. But did the wind just stop blowing when Ole Miss hit? No, they did not. No, no, no. That's a good point. I'm not insinuating that it wasn't the same for Ole Miss. I just no, – know. Diamond standpoint, like, he was – if that doesn't happen, there's a chance that he actually gives them, for what the current version of Diamond is and what the altered expectations for him are, sure. a really, really good outing. And okay. It wouldn't, but wouldn't I it even matter, though, because they, that's they, what I'm just going to say. They're okay, not winning the game pre- two to one, I don't think, even if well, you Hell, let's give them the win two to one. Does, they're still not any good. Yeah, that is true. But the, the, win, so, I mean, the like, win keeps them afloat. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe do they win on Saturday? If they went on Friday, sure, I'll go there. But still, like, at the end of the day, I still don't think this team's any good, even if they win a two to one game on Friday. Um, also, I believe, I don't know if you believe in it, but I believe in karma. And and when the numbers just say, hey, you better get his tail off the mound the second time through, I just believe that karma punishes you when you don't. Um, so, you know, I, do I feel bad for Diamond that he makes a good pitch and the, and the ball gets wind-dated out? Yeah, but, like, also, he shouldn't have been on the mound. No, that's fair. And, honestly, I don't know that – I get the South Carolina splits against right-handers are a lot better against left-handers, but – that doesn't like. I guess I th- I thought Hunter Elliott. I guess I thought it would be Hunter Elliott or Doherty behind him, and I'm not necessarily questioning it um, from the standpoint because Riley Maddox behind him was really good. I'm not necessarily questioning that move, but when you get to the end of the weekend and Hunter Elliott hasn't pitched, we get to why they took Doherty out when they did or whatever. It just the, the decision making this weekend didn't make any sense. And you remember last year, and this is probably a decent transition to the Sunday game or the Saturday game. I'm going to do this 12 times if that makes people mad. Just mute me mute me on the pod but anyway you remember last year where Mike actually did a pretty good coaching job but he made two horrific decisions yeah uh, or series of decisions or had two horrific sequences that cost them a, probably a top eight national seed to where they're not playing in uh, Tucson Arizona well I thought the Saturday game was kind of in that realm in terms of the series of decisions late and there were other factors that went into why they lose that game but I guess the point being with the way this team has played and the way they've been, they can't have their, their coach and their manager cost them games or, you know, not put them in optimal positions to win. And I felt like that happened on Saturday, which is, which is a shame because if there's ever a team that can't afford to have that type of thing happen, it's certainly this team. And look where they ended up now. They're really up in it. I don't even know where do you want to start with the Sunday or the Saturday game because I knew when they lost the Friday when I was sitting there thinking, you know, with Will Sanders, that's a preseason all-SEC selection. The yep. kid had been pretty good all year. And with the way this team was hitting against the against Noah Hall, I'm sitting there thinking, they're they're in big trouble. They're going to need something special for Washburn. He faced five hitters. They had a chance, and they still didn't pull it out. Like, what, did you, what was your – I guess it's a good place to start. What were you thinking going into the Saturday game? I didn't love their chances. Um, I didn't either, but I- – I also just thought so, – so there was a situation kind of like this at Auburn um, where they lost the, the Friday game, game two, and they're going to go face Trey Sprite, who was all yeah. the things, and, and they beat him. And it's like, well, you know, maybe they can figure it out again. I, I, I just – I guess on Saturday before the game, I guess my thought process was, look, this team's led by a lot of veterans. Um, at some point, they have to say enough is enough. Um, and even though Will Sanders is really good, I, I, I you know, I expect T.J. McCants and Jacob Gonzalez and Kevin Graham and Tim Elko and uh, Justin Bench to find a way to get enough runs to win this baseball game because I don't think this baseball team is – this is before the game. I don't think this baseball team is going to go down without a fight. 
Um, and, and to their everlasting credit, they score the four runs in the ninth. And I'll get to that in a minute. But they didn't get it done. And, and you know, I, did I think they could beat Will Sanders? I did. Um, but I didn't think it was a given. And, and it certainly turned out that it was not. I mean, this offense was anemic the first 4.1 innings of the game, 4.2. I just muted myself. I'm I'm just having a banner podcast day. I mean, they they were a, a TJ McCants walk from having I mean him throwing a perfect game through four. And it's not like they stressed him a ton through five. The kid fell victim to McCants, I think hit a ground ball to the shortstop. It was a throw yeah. error. Leatherwood hits the triple, but still then like it, the kid felt con, uh, Sanders felt completely in control of the game. And so yes, they scored four late. And I thought that was a sign of toughness and like you said, not them them not going down without a fight, but I mean, right. Part of the reason that Will Sanders was able to go, let's see, how deep did he go in this game? Six and a third and throw 96 pitches. He threw 69 strikes like is because of their approach early in the game. You don't have to hit him for a four spot in the second inning, but can you make him work a little bit? They weren't even making him work. I, Chase had a number earlier. This is going back to the game too, but I think the game, that was the game they had no walks. I think there was like one or two, three ball counts and it didn't feel like they were making Sanders work very much either. So, wait, just doing some math in my head, they walked seven times this weekend. I know McCants walked – I'm pretty sure McCants walked twice. So, there was one walk outside of McCants. And God, uh, God, God help us all. Um, oh, wow. I think McCants walked twice. I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure he did. Again, somebody will fact check me and tell me I'm wrong. That's fine. I got you up right here. McCants walked definitely the one time, obviously – and what was the other walk in their nine to one win? Inquiring minds would like to know. It was. Oh, no, it was. Oh, no, you're. Well, no, it was Burford. Okay. So was Burford, Burford walk, McCants walk, and then congrats to whoever the third guy was on. There may have been an intentional walk in there somewhere. Oh, Burford got um, another one. Okay, so it was Burford. So there were three people that walked this weekend. That is correct. That's not That's great. sad. That's sad. <laughs> That's uh, really, really bad. And just to bring it up before, uh, before you continue, the walk, the SEC play strikeout to walk ratio that I keep kind of bringing up every week, it is now at one – in SEC play, it is now 165 strikeouts, 48 walks. Hey, do you have – can you pull up last year's? Because I'm curious what last year's was. Yeah, I wrote about this in the newsletter. I forgot to, uh, I forgot to include it in the podcast. So the SEC sports – um, website that has the SEC only numbers. I couldn't find conference only numbers for 2020. Oh, you can find it on Ole Miss's page. Hold on. So I was looking at that earlier. Again, I'm not the most tech savvy person of all time in terms of doing like internet sleuthing and finding these stats. But in 2021, I can tell you in 2021 as a whole, it was, let's see, 2021 SEC baseball stats. They, right, so in conference last year, they struck out uh, 271 times. Oh, you were asking and, about the ratio. I thought you were asking where they ranked in SEC play. Okay, no, go ahead. no. So it was 271 to 117. So, so still not great, but obviously, you know, 117 walks last year to what, 42 this year so far? Yes, or 48 in conference play. And just to so put, they're well under half of that. Yeah, it's not well, great. Yeah, and to put some just added context in it. Uh, oh, yeah, you're right. They're well under half of that. How many times? So what was it last year in SEC play? Uh, I just went off the page. But I believe it was 117. 
um, walks. So they would be on pace for 96 this year. But the problem was in conference play last year, I believe they led the conference in on-base percentage in their second to last this year. Yeah, they had a 455 slug, um, an 835 OPS, and a 380 on-base percentage in SEC play last year and hit 290. Um, so, yeah, they're not hitting 290 in SEC play this year. They're not hitting 250 in SEC play this year. Oh, look how many – there's one guy. You said the team OPS in SEC play last year was three, uh, 380. There's one guy on the right. It's 830. Yeah, yeah. Or two, sorry. It's it's uh, it's Gonzalez and McCants oh in terms of his on-base percentage. Excuse me, Gonzalez and Elko in terms of on-base percentage. They only have two guys above their team mark in SEC play last year. That's uh, not, not great. Um, I mean, we could do this all night, right? Like, it's – it's it's that's the staggering part about all of this is just the offense isn't any good and look yes they miss Kevin Graham for some time but everyone else has just been bad and that's the head scratching part about it I mean I just I don't know I mean that's the thing that oh, at five and oh, ten happier thinking, no. oh go ahead I'm sorry oh yeah no I'm just saying on the, like this Look, I don't. I think this team has its work cut out for it. I'm not wagering on them to make the NCAA tournament by any stretch. I think I've been pretty clear about that. But the one thing that keeps you coming back to, okay, maybe they can make a run, is just the sheer fact that it is completely inexplicable how much worse they are. And just like, is that going to continue? Yeah. It, it, it and, and there, I will say this. Yeah. I was just – there is a team like this every year that underperforms in the regular season, figures out what it – hell's going wrong by about the middle of May and then you look up in June and they're in a super regional is there a world that team's Ole Miss I guess um I could you you could maybe convince me that they get hot and figure out a way to to you know hit again and and but I don't think so like I I just there's been some games this year where it's just like man if this team was you know what I thought they would be they would refuse to lose this baseball game um and it's just it's just not happened, man. The the indictment I think on this team is like they were down four to two in the ninth on Friday, three hundred and sixty five days ago. I would have said I think they'll probably come back. I think they'll figure it out. They went into the ninth, and I'm like they're going one two three. Um, I was genuinely and, stunned. I actually flipped the game off, and then someone I was with was like, "Oh man, they've got a couple guys on," and I flipped it back on. But I'm, I'm kind of with you. I was like, "This is over." I was kind of see, like, when I got some free time, I was going to start looking up numbers and start the writing process on the newsletter, or at least to the preliminary part. But I think that's a good way to think about it, though, right? Even at eight four, I wouldn't think their chances were great. But I was like, "Okay, I'm going to watch this because I think they have a chance." I thought they had zero chance, and that's probably as telling as anything, right? So, and, and a lot of people are doing that. Well, at least they're still fighting. But, like, you play at Ole Miss. You better fight. Um, so I, you don't get credit for that. I mean, you're just, like, um, as a comedian once said, you're just doing what you're supposed to do. Like, like duh, you're supposed to fight. You play at Ole Miss. You play at one of the best, you know, uh, uh, one of the hot, most invested programs in the country. You better fight. So, I, I don't really give a whole lot of credit to, you know, doing what you're supposed to do in the ninth inning against a bad bullpen. It doesn't, it kind of rings hollow to me. In terms of mindset, who do we all most often compare them to? It's the other team in the state in Mississippi state. They're not a good baseball team, but you know what they did? They played like crap on the Thursday night game, found a way to steal it. Bludgeoned all the Friday game. And had it tied up yesterday in the ninth and got thrown out at the plate. I was about to say they were an inch away from a sweep and like if, 
Ole Miss was not uh, – this is going to sound ridiculous, but Ole Miss was not that far away from a sweep this weekend. Like, they, the game was there for the taking on Friday, and yep. clearly it was there on Saturday. And it's kind of the, the – the, you know, I, I can't attribute it all to mindset while they lost two or three this weekend. That would be silly, but you get my point at a certain – at a certain point, certain teams kind of get that done. Like, I don't know. I just – this is hard to talk about because it's not tangible and there's no way to actually prove it. But knowing where their backs were up against the wall this weekend and knowing that South Carolina is pitching backwards, don't you just find a way to go get the second game after you beat them over the head on Thursday night and then kind of demoralize them going into Saturday and just give yourself the opportunity to really shift the conversation with the sweep? And this team wasn't able to do that. Yep. It just sort of kind of withered away when the moment mattered the most. Exactly right. I mean, you just um, and as a player, you don't you probably don't think, oh, this team's pitched backwards. We got to win today, but you just go win today because that's what you're supposed to do, and you should be the better baseball team. Um, yes, but even with Will Sanders and Ole Miss having whomever it is on the mound, they're still the better team, or supposed yeah. to be. Supposed to be. I mean, Mark Kingston is getting fired, um, unless they really, really turn this around. And I watched that South Carolina team; they're not really turning this around. They stink too. They're not good. Um, no. Um, but there's Ole Miss and, and it's, it's infuriating and it's something that I'm sure we'll get to here in just a minute. It's, it leads to a bigger conversation because at five and 10, I mean, like we can sit here and talk about, oh, this is what they have to do to get in the tournament. But like, really? I mean, we're talking about a team that if they get in the tournament, this team has to finish its season in one place or the, the month of June is going to go exactly like I think we think it will. Oh, absolutely. But let's not go straight to the main course before the appetizer. Let's get into the awesomeness that was the managerial piece of the third game. So Ole Miss gets down. They We outlined the first part of it, right? They're, they're not doing anything against Sanders. And they finally get to him a little bit, right? You get the Leatherwood triple. That would have been nice later in the game if had, he had the opportunity um, in the fifth. You tack on one more in the sixth. But South Carolina answers because Brandon Johnson just simply wasn't good. So you're down, what, five to two and you get two runs in the seventh. So, and we can just go back and forth between the managerial part of it and just talk about the, I had a tweet about the, people hate the word fraudulent. It's kind of a lightning rod of a word, particularly when you use it on the internet. But I kind of tweet about the the seventh and the eighth are kind of exactly why this offense is fraudulent. So they're down five to two. McCants single, Leatherwood single. Hmm, he was pretty good. Um, Burford ground out, but he there's no double play. So it's second and third. Harris, two-run single. How about that? So it's 5-4. Bench gets hit by a pitch. That never happens. So all of a sudden, you got two on and one out. And at this point, this is particularly last year, right? This is the point in a game, considering the way this one's gone, where you're like, okay, this is where they get three and salve, you know, kind of avoid disaster, whatever you want to call it, but really take control of this game. Jacob Gonzalez and Tim Elko are up, the only guys who have hit in conference play with a pulse. And what happens? Yeah, they uh, – Strikeout you know. swinging, strikeout looking. Yeah. I didn't think the Gonzalez at bat was necessarily awful. And then Elko didn't have the greatest at bat. But are you going to knock the one kid that's just carrying what's the symbol no. of production on this offense? You can't. But, like, it, it, at the end of the day, though, you have to get it done there. Those are You're never going to have two better chances to take control of that game than those two at the plate in that situation. And they didn't do it. And so, at that point, I'm thinking – I mean, what – that. that no, that, sorry, that wasn't the eighth. So the eighth was way worse. But at that point, you're thinking, oh, God. So they throw up a zero in the bottom half of the seventh. Then the eighth comes. Graham double, Alderman single. 
I thought – no, I didn't think any, Graham had any chance to uh, score. I thought uh, for a second that he was going to get sent. And the way that angle was, it was a single to left, right? And I was like, oh, God. And then they held him. So your corners, I'm like, okay, they're at least tying this thing, right? Can they take, take control? My, my thinking, I don't know about you at this point, was can they get to like eight? Can they get to eight to five? So like a Brandon Johnson, who's clearly struggling a little bit, has a little bit of a cushion. Well, guess what they got to? We can't strike out one of the worst. Oh, backs. oh, my bad. I'm sorry. Oh, what? Do you thought they tied it up here? No, 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 no. I, I, no, I, I, I got confused on what you're. I'm sorry. No, no. I just like they got to nothing. They didn't tie it up. They didn't. They yeah. had corners, no outs, and didn't yeah. score a run. This was their one of their worst. Uh, this was this was the McCants K uh, shot in a double play. That is correct. So let's just get into it right now. The so McCants case that was an awful at bat. And look, he's really struggled this year. That's one of the biggest differences if you're outlining reasons why this offense hasn't performed. You look at his SEC numbers from last year to compare to this year. I mean, his OBP I think is like two twenty six, and I think he's hitting two oh four, and it's it's just not great. He's really kind of struggling at the plate, and that was an. Un, I mean, you talk about the non competitive bats and kind of the bad approach. That was certainly kind of the poster child of what you're talking about, right? Right, yeah, it was. Um, it's just, I don't know. I, I this, this, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that like you're having this, these offensive struggles, right? And then you just compound it with what seems to be like an overabundance of managerial mistakes. So, uh, McCant strikeout, and then the Chatagnier pinch hits for Leatherwood. Leatherwood is coming off a triple and a single in his last two at-bats. And you mentioned to me right before recording, you actually didn't hate this move on the surface. I got to no. say, it's scratching. Well, why was Chatagnier, why was he able available to pinch it in the first place? What do you mean? Oh, because he wasn't starting because he hasn't had a good year. Right. So, um, what what did you make of this move? I, I Mike, to me, we don't talk about when Mike panics. Remember when we used to joke about, like, his panic level was judged by, like, when he would bunt because he stopped bunting, but then he would get tight, he would bunt. Is that the is yeah. the new bunting thing? Is it now the matchup him being kind of obsessed with the lefty left, like left on right, right on left, vice versa thing? Because that's why he went there, right? Um, yes, but okay, I, and le- so I got into it with some people over this. I did not hate it because of this reason. When when Chatagnier come came up, you could not strike out there because McCants had already struck out. Yep. And which means you've got to put the ball in play to get this cat in from third. Um, it, And I understood that he didn't want to leave the guy that, you know, uh, has a 077 batting average against lefties. Um, and I'm trying to see how many times he struck out against lefties. But I, I understood it, I guess I should say. I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily opposed to, you know, he, he struck out five times in ten at bats against lefty Leatherwood has. I, I got it. Like that one wasn't um, the one that made me infuriated. I, I just, you know, in that situation, you can't have a strikeout, and I think Leatherwood was more far on to strike out um, than than Chatney. I'm not saying that if you disagree with me, you're wrong. Like I understand, but I, I just thought it was an okay move. That one wasn't the one that frustrated me the most. Okay, that's that's fair. I think the other part of Mike's answer about this, though, was that they couldn't ground into a double play, and Chatagnier is less – he runs well, so he probably wasn't going to ground into a double play. Well, in fairness, with the way, way – with where he hit the baseball, I don't think Usain Bolt was going to beat out that double play. No, he hit the ball hard, too. Yes, and that honestly made, like, the double play worse and even more tailor-made, right, in that sense. It's just – 
but at the same time, that's a freshman left-hander who Ole Miss had already tagged pretty good for what, I guess, four runs at that point. He didn't look yeah. the most confident in the world. Granted, he did strike out three guys. Do you not just let the hot bat feast? I get it. I do. But we're talking about a guy that – and it's a small sample size. I get it. Um, but no, I, I just didn't have a ton of issues with it, um, especially when Mike's managed like that his entire career. Um, I at least applaud the guy for you – can, you can hate the left-right thing and all that. You, you can, but at least, you know, if you're going to play that, you might as well play it all the way. Um, it's kind of like, you know, hitting or staying on 16 and blackjack. You either do it or you don't. you got your strategy and you stick to it. So I, I had little issue with that. Again, if folks disagree with me, that's fine. Um, I'm not saying I'm right, you know, um, but but I, I just – McCants it bad in that situation is the one that's going to bother me, not Shad Gass. Okay, that's fair. No, that's completely fair. What bothered you about Mc, – uh, or excuse me, sorry, you said McCants about it. I thought you were saying shot. Yeah. Never mind, I misheard you. Fair enough. So, they, they, that was probably one of the more deflating points of the season, honestly. At that point, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, man, like this is – this is going to be really bad for them because I don't – I didn't like their chances of pushing a run across in the ninth inning given the way the seventh and the eighth had gone. This was the part that killed me. I, I don't know if enough people had talked about this, and I'm not saying I'm on to something that – no one else knows. But Brandon Johnson clearly has struggled in the last week or so, right? So he comes in to – what did you think of him pulling him for Doherty in that moment? Doherty – Doherty struck out five in a row? Yeah. Um, no, sorry. He early. struck out – well, fifth, top of the – shot on the sixth. Um, no, sorry. Okay, anyway, continue. Not the point. But, so, yeah. So – Oh, like, originally when I saw it, I was like, oh, it's kind of early. I kind of was just thinking, you know, hey, they'll let Brandon Johnson throw the seventh, eighth, and ninth. But it's hard for me. Um, and I know like, I'm sounding like a Mike defender, and I promise you I'm not because I'm going to get into one of the decisions that I thought was just absolutely horrendous. Um, but it, it's hard for me to sit there and yell and complain about Brandon Johnson doesn't get to pitch meaningful innings, and then he lets Brandon Johnson pitch meaningful innings. Um, so it's kind of, you know, it kind of seems hypocritical for me to, to yell about him bringing in what I thought was their best reliever, um, into a meaningful spot, it, you know, so I didn't have much issue with it. I, you know, but it, it kind of did hinder what you could do on the back end once you had already burned Doherty. Um, so, you know, it's it, that, that, that one's tough for me because like I said, it's, it's hard to yell about, Hey, he needs to pitch meaningful innings and then Mike lets him and, and you yell about, well, not that one, you know, you know what I mean? No, I, I get you. And so Doherty had come in and he gets a strikeout, intentionally walked a guy and then walks in a run and he gets strikeout, strikeout. But I guess what I, I would ask, I, I get it, but it's still the sixth inning at that point. So Doherty had gone ground out, strikeout, strikeout on 10 pitches in the fifth. If you have Johnson up and maybe it's an inherited runners thing, I don't know, but can you let Doherty labor a bit? Like it, with this uh, going for to Johnson for three outs or excuse me, three innings and nine outs or whatever, assuming you maybe take over the lead later in the game, like that, that still counts as meaningful innings. I'm just curious why it was start to start the six when Doherty had really shown no signs of flappability at any point. When you kind of know, and when you kind of know that Doherty and Johnson are really all you trust right now, especially, you know, I trust Hunter Elliott, but it's obvious to me that at this point, Mike Bianco doesn't for whatever reason. Um, so if you're Mike, like how do you kind of yank the one guy that you kind of actually trust, um, that early? Um, so I don't know. It's, it's tough. Um, 
I thought he probably should have obviously stopped with Doherty a little bit longer, but I have a hard time yelling about, you know, when when I've been yelling, but he doesn't get to pitch him enough meaningful innings. I don't know. It's um it's a mess, that's that's for sure. So the, the other part of it, what I was actually going to get to, I kind of got sidetracked with the first part out of it there. So obviously, uh, Johnson gives up the what? He gives up the two-run shot in the sixth. But in the seventh, he gets strikeout, strikeout, and gets behind the guy and allows a single, and then another strikeout. So he technically strikes out the side in the seventh. Then he goes strikeout looking, and on that pitch to Lambros, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, now he's starting to figure out he's locating a bit. Four-pitch walk, guy's still second. You get a line out to first base. At that point, it's five to four. Why why did why go to Mallet's there? I'm curious because it's still two right handers. It's not a it's not a matchup. Um, why is he I, I'll I'll grant you this. Um he was pulled because the ball that was hit to Tamalco was hit about 118 miles an hour. Fair um and, and and the ball there was a ball right before that that was smoked too. So I, I think Mike saw that and said enough's enough. Um you know I I, that's my. That's what I at least think he was went through his mind. I, I could be wrong on that. He may have had a certain amount of pitches that he wanted Brandon Johnson to throw, but it just looked like to me he saw that ball get smoked Elko and said, "Okay, I've had enough of this." We've been pumping the Josh Mallett stock, and <laughs> if you dumped it, I guess you cashed out because that first pitch that he hung was not great for this podcast. So I want to. I want you to. I want to put it in context, like, what I was doing. We were having family Easter during this time, and I swear to God, he threw the pitch. I'm sitting, like, on my couch, and um, he throws the pitch, and even before the cat swings the bat, I just walk back in the kitchen to fix another plate of food. Like, I, I didn't even need to see him swing it to know what was going to happen. And sure enough, the guy hit it about 600 feet. Uh, yeah, and then Josiah Seitler didn't exactly have a wind-dated home run to dead center there on the next one. I guess to Mount's credit, he gets the strike up. At that point, you're thinking, okay, well, now now it's done. It's all over. But the uh, shouting, I think the most egregious thing happened in the ninth inning, though, right? They're down eight to four. You get the Burford walk. No one noticed at the time, and, you know, I guess based on the result at the in the immediate moment, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, Ben Van Cleef got him a double. Now you got second and third. Well, the problem is, do you know who Ben Van Cleef hit for? It would be Calvin Harris. Do you know why Calvin Harris was catching? Because Hayden Dunhurst was hurt. Do you know who else was on the roster that is a catcher? Uh, Kemp Alderman. Well, the answer is no one. <laughs> yeah, that answer is nobody. <laughs> the answer is nobody. Uh, what? what? I can't rationalize it. Please don't ask me to. It's so so uh, here here. There's two options here, right? There's two. Mike was either, and I don't think it was this one. I'm I'm 99.99999% sure it wasn't this one. Mike was either a conceding a game that he was down four in the ninth inning, and he wasn't. Okay. Two, he was content letting his DH. That's the part people have to remember. He had to kill his DH. Yes. Meaning a, a, a pitcher was now in the lineup. So he's supposed to have to start using pinch hitters for when the pitcher comes up. Okay. He had to kill his DH to bring in his emergency catcher. Okay. His emergency catcher 
to catch the bottom of the ninth inning, and he was cool with that. Like, he had to sit there and say, okay, Dunhurst is out. Harris is out if I pinch hit for him here. Knox LaPosser, for some freaking reason, is not on the travel roster. Matt Parentale is, but that's not a story for other um, And I am cool with, if we tie this up, letting my DH slash right fielder catch. That's what he said. It was the dumbest thing I have seen him do this year, and that's saying a lot. Frankly, it was as, it was as bad as, as those two uh, freakish decisions last year. It, and it got him beat. I mean, look. You can't blame Alderman for missing a breaking ball in the ninth inning. Like, he's not a catcher. I mean, he didn't come here to catch. And he misses what was probably a rudimentary breaking ball that lets the guy get from second to third, and then the sack fly gets him out. Um, It's it's inexplicably uh, bad coaching to to do that. Just just dumb. Okay, you mentioned, like, the the only thing you could pose, right, is the fact that – um, shoot, what am I trying to say? The fact that uh, that he's just punting on the game and, hey, you have a shot. But, like, if you're putting them in there to pinch in and get a hit, like, if your goal – if your ultimate goal is accomplished, you're going to have a bottom of the ninth inning. Yep. And so, what do you – like, I don't understand what you plan to do with that. And the, he was cool with it. Like, I, I'm trying – I don't have any words. That – that and it, 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 and I was – in the moment, I'm sitting there trying to rationalize – the Hayden Leatherwood thing, and then taking Brandon Johnson out when he did. I'm not necessarily saying I was hell-bent on crushing for him. I'm just trying to process that all in my mind and try to think through it because, you know, this is the life you live, I guess, with Mike Bianco as the manager of the team you somewhat cover, whatever. And then that happens, and my brain just broke. I can't say – I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting there thinking – I had actually walked away. I was at uh, someone's house for a crawfish bowl, and I'd walked away where the game was being played or whatever, and – when he pinch hit him, I didn't think about it at the time. And then all of a sudden, someone was like, I think that's Alderman catching. And I was like, oh, he just – he pinch hit Calvin Harris. That's right. And it all clicked and my – I just kind of – my brain melted, if I'm being completely honest. And the other part about it is it was left for left, was it not? No, he brought in Van Cleef for, for yeah. Harris. Yeah, sorry. left on right, yeah. But – Oh, God. I don't know. You can't do that. No, you can't. I can't wrap my head around that. You can't be cool with an emergency catcher catching the ninth inning of a game that you have to win if it gets to that point. You just – like you said, you, you, can't, you can't do that. What do you think – be one thing. It would be one thing if it was the bottom of the ninth and you can literally walk off the field. And if worst case catch, you know, happens, he has to catch the top of the tenth inning. But a ninth inning's happening no you, matter what. Yes, there was not a chance that the ninth inning was not going to be played unless the rapture occurred. And, and somehow, it, do you think Mike even considered, like, the possibility that he, he, he couldn't, you know, he was going to have to use his emergency catcher slash freaking DH to catch the bottom of the ninth? Or do you think, like, my man was just so, like, auto-computed? Auto well, there's a lefty on a lefty, must change, can't process consequences. Like, I, I would love to know the answer to that question. You hit on exactly where I was going next. I was going to try to pose it in some sort of form of jest question. Do you think he knew? Or do you think it got to the point to where it was like, oh, I just – well, no, he had to. No, he pitched hit the catcher. He just, I mean, it was a simple one-for-one one thing in, in, in that simple sense, unless he forgot. Do you think he forgot Calvin Harris was playing catcher? There's no way, right? 
No, I, I refuse to believe that, that he literally forgot. Um, but the, the, I could, you could make a little bit more rational sense out of it, too, if Ben Van Cleve going to the plate was the tying run or the tying run was on base. I could at least listen to you there, and there were two outs, and, you know, it was just – they're down four runs, and he's the second guy up or something. It's like, what are we doing? And so immediately, I, I, to put it in context, like, I saw it, and I'm like, okay, either – because I, I literally, in between innings, I texted my buddies. I was like, you know, we, we're going to have to get some outs because the uh, the guys coming up are Burford, LaPasser, and whoever was ninth, I guess, shot yet. It's like – and then I'd see that Laposter's not catching. I'm like, what the hell is he doing? Which Laposter not catching and being on the roster is another story for another day. Um, we'll get to that. Yeah, no, I had that coming up next, but I just, I, I can't what? wrap my, like, I can't wrap my brain around that one. And it's, I've never pretended to be the smartest guy in the room by any stretch of the imagination. I'd probably fall in the lower half of most rooms I'm standing in. But even at that moment, I'm sitting there thinking, what in the world is going on? Like, what are what are they doing? I get, it's an unfair position to put Otterman in. It's it's really just unbelievable all around. And so they then they get to the eight, the bottom. I think. What do you think Otterman's reaction was to where Mike was like, "Hey, like throw on the gear." I said, "Excuse me, <laughs> I just hit a game tying double. You want me to have to go catch with a game on the line, buddy? What are we doing?" He's literally, he's unless I am mistaken, he is not caught at Ole Miss. No, no, he hasn't caught at Ole Miss. Unless I have something very wrong, I'm almost positive he has never caught at Ole Miss. So, yeah, I mean, outside of bull, Mike caught him their emergency catcher last year. You don't get the notion uh, emergency catcher for no reason. Well, don't when do emergency catchers ever catch tie games in the ninth inning when you're something your season's on the line? Yeah, does that does that happen a lot? Like, I, I just – it's hard to wrap your head around. And then on the fact that, that you might as well get in the Knox LaPoster side of it, hand up, did you know Knox LaPoster wasn't on the travel roster? No idea. Because, like I said, I had texted friends. was like, LaPoster is going to have to hit next inning, so we may have to hold him for more than one inning. Um, Why? Yeah. I, I get the carry two, two catchers, emergency catcher, I get it. But both of your catchers have had previous injuries this year, and one yep. of them plays in the field in most games. You've had Dunlop yep. that had the hamstring thing. You had Harris have the uh, what was it midsection strain. So you have both yep. of them that have been injury, like not I say injury prone, have had injuries this year, and one of them, you know, in a perfect world, plays the field for two of the three games, and you, you, okay, I'll put it to you this way, and I don't mean to cross the kid. Why is Matt Parento on the travel roster? And Knox Apostor, if you're going just value for value, the kid that they put up in mop-up time, whether it's winning or losing, 90% of the time it's been losing with the way this year has gone, how does he have more value than, than Knox Apostor? Why is he on the travel roster and a third catcher's not when both of your catchers have been beat up this year? I promise you Jackson Kimbrell could have got those outs on Friday. Or anyone. He, how about Drew McDaniel? Who <laughs> you <laughs> in the bottom of the ninth? Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Um, I, I that I don't know. Um that I've got no answers. I, I really don't like it's it's a dumb it's dumb that he's not on the travel roster, one. Okay. Two, it's dumb that you know he's not on the travel roster and you're a lot, you're content with letting your emergency catcher 
catch the bottom of the night. And people are going to say, well, it's not a big – he missed, and this is not his fault. He missed a, a curveball that you, you just catch. Like, everyone catches that's a catcher. But the problem is the poor kid is a, a right fielder, pretty decent right fielder, really good hitter. And you're asking him to do something that he is not ready to do because you wanted to go left on right in a very low leverage bat at the time. Or right on left, excuse me. Runner on second with one out. It's not a great situation, but you have a chance. But like you just mentioned, it's a pass ball. I mean, I don't know what the win win percentage isn't my favorite set in the world, but in an entire game with you have a runner on second with one out in the ninth inning, how much does the win percentage go up when the guy goes to third on a a pass ball? Uh, About 30%. I was about to say, that's about as high as you'll see any sort of one sequence happen without a hit or an out or something like that. And it's all because they're emergency catchers. I'm not calling him that. He's not an emergency catcher. Why? What do you mean? Like, is someone – okay, if someone else on that travel roster, do you think someone else on their travel roster just gunned to your head without knowing caught in high school? Yeah. So why is he your emergency catcher? Why why are you calling him that just because he's the one that went in? I mean, I guess it's literally true, but like, well, no. I, the reason I called him that, and I, I'll tell you, um, last Mike year said. when, well, yes, um, when when Mike when Alderman started to play and they pulled the red shirt off, they asked Mike, you know, what what's the deal? And he's like, well, he's been traveling with us um, in case, you know, as an emergency catcher. So that was that was his phrasing, literally, almost a year ago. Oh God. And so then the other part of it, you tie the game, you're thinking, okay, if you can get three outs, they're kind of getting to this pitcher. And, look, I get it. Josh Mallett did not pitch well. He got him out of the eighth, whatever. But is he – so he goes to Drew McDaniel. How many guys do they have left available in the bullpen? If you're thinking at this point, they have Hunter Elliott left. Mason Nichols. Mason Nichols. Um. Okay. I'm trying uh, to I mean, think. those those would have been the guys I went to before I went to McDaniel. Um, you know, I, I mean, if you had uh, to, could you have gone back to Maddox? I guess not. Really. No, no. Uh, um, I'm thinking out loud here, what? Why Drew McDaniel? So that's okay. I'll get into this. You're the biggest numbers guy I know in terms of college baseball, and just in terms of like people I talk to about it. Doesn't with the smaller sample size, there have to be some context. It seems like he's gotten so married to the matchup, left, 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 right, left, right, right, left, whatever, no matter what the circumstances are, that it's it's killing them in some senses. Look, you outlined why you could defend the uh, the Leatherwood for uh, – or the Chatagnier for Leatherwood thing. We talked about some other pitching things. But just in a vacuum, I get South Carolina's hit left-handed pitchers betting, but they have – better but in conference play, but they've had more than double the right-handed sample size. Doesn't it have to come down to who you trust more? Is it Hunter Elliott or is it Drew McDaniel? Frankly, if, if you want to go with a right-hander, it's Mason Nichols. That, that's the kid that on Saturday at UCF just kept extending the game when Ole Miss couldn't score. Um, you know, he, he's pitched in big situations and has been decent this year. I if you're going to do the right-hander thing, you can't sell me that Mason Nichols would have been the better option. Um, Ring these but, Hunter Elliott, Mason Nichols, Josh Mallett, just because you've been in the game, and then Drew McDaniel. Who do you trust most to least to get a zero to get you back in the dugout? Hunter Elliott, Mason Nichols, Josh Mallett, Drew McDaniel. Who pitched? Drew McDaniel. Um, Yikes. And, you know, I, I want to – clarify something i know alderman caught in high school i'm sure i'm gonna get that comment but like 
it's a different deal catching breaking balls that are coming 82 miles an hour. Um, again, I am not blaming that kid. It is not that kid's fault not his at all. Fault. No. Is he um, not Josh Mallett's coming up next on uh, first take? Just being put in ridiculously unfair situations. It's, I don't know. It's, and then, like you said, the decision to go with McDaniel, it's just, it's like, what are we doing? We're talking about a guy that threw five innings three days ago. Um, inexplicable. It's and does he ever consider bringing him in if Drew McDaniel doesn't go, what, five innings of shutout baseball against Murray State? Against a team that's not good. No, they're terrible. They're like 11 and 20 something. Like, yeah. but if that doesn't happen, like if he just, if someone else starts on Tuesday, is Drew McDaniel even, like, does he go in there? Probably not, no. That's um, not great. Like, <laughs> I just – it's a, we could do this all night, right? Like, it's just a it, – it was, it was baffling in a lot of senses. And if that ends up being the death knell for this team and they go 13 and 17 or whatever and they miss the tournament because they were one win short, I mean, you look back at a number of different places. But, you know, if you're writing – if you want to write the obit for this team, the fact that Mike kind of panicked and – reverted back to I guess what he knows best and trusts best that has been proven iffy to work um you know from time to time it's kind of the perfect ending is it not yeah yeah um I don't know man it's just kind of feels like maybe and maybe this is what it took like it, it does it somewhat feel like AK's last year to you at this point it because it, it, in AK's last year it always felt like they just get a game. They just get a game. You know, like it, they'll they'll get on a run, and then like that game never came, and then eventually it all just went to hell. It kind of feels like it's starting to go to hell. I made that analogy last week. Do you remember the last AK year where they had the road game at A and M? They somehow got it in position to steal it. That I think would have put them at like two and two in the league or something. And Brian had that. Uh, Brian Tyree had that three pointer that got what three quarters of the way down and then back out. Do you remember this? Yes, absolutely. And it, it completely went to hell after that. I mean, I've talked to Bracken about it a few times. I mean, that was kind of identified as the breaking point for that team. Doesn't this game feel like that? I'm not saying this team has a run in them. I'm not saying that this team is going to tune out Mike Bianco or whatever, because the dynamics in that sense, like nothing else about those situations are similar. But I, if we look back hindsight in, you know, a month and a half, don't you think this kind of feels like the breaking point like that was for that particular team if that ends up being true? Because it kind of does to me. Because guess who's rolling into town next weekend? He loses that series next weekend. And, and like, I just you, you can just go ahead. And, I mean, it, it, it's not even foreshadowing at that point. This you is the part a, everyone – yeah, go ahead. Sorry, finish your thought. You just talk about a 6-12 and 12 team that just lost, what, seventh year in a row to Mississippi State? 16, 17, 18, 19. It would be six. Um, yeah, it's just done. Like, I think it's probably done now. Lose two next weekend. And, and it, it's going to turn from, like, bad to toxic. I think that's a very uh, poignant way to put it, and I agree with you in that sense. And look, I'm on some, you know, we got to call it. It's just the funniest part about this podcast. The, one of the things I enjoy most about like doing it is the fact that whenever they have just have a terrible back, like backbreaking loss, is when we get the most interaction of people being like, can't wait for this Sunday's pod. There's a reason I told you at the time the most listened to one we had was after Sunday at State last year. And I was kind of being a smart ass on the internet, as I've never known to be. And someone, I like quote tweeted one of them and said, just hot board season. And I was, I know that's what people want. 
and I know that's what no, I know that's probably where this headed, but I never had any intention of us spending an hour and a half doing a hot board on this podcast because one, there's still more time for that. And it's certainly a little inside baseball here from a content standpoint. Like if I'm doing that this week, what am I doing May 15th? Like what this it, you're, you're just running into an absolute um, kind of void. No, like, no I will say this. Let them lose two next weekend. And oh, exactly. You're a hundred percent right. Like it, I, I, I probably improperly phrased it in a literal sense of they lose this weekend talking about the South Carolina weekend and it's over. It feels over. There's one nail in the coffin. If you want to put the final nail in, it's next weekend. And so I think this team is on the precipice of just kind of utter, utter stick of fork in them and they're done. So I guess you could call, you know, they're in a bad way last weekend. I guess you could call this life support. I don't know what to call it. I guess the point being is that we can't go like full hot board yet because they're still mathematically in this, like at a certain point. Sure. And I don't, I don't buy, I don't buy them making a run. I don't necessarily think they're going to the NCAA tournament by any stretch, but mathematically stranger things have happened to where no, six th- this team out, going nine and six is not impossible. It's not impossible, but with the brand of baseball they're playing, it feels a hell of a lot harder. And I get, you know, if we were beating the drum of there's still time, there's still time, they can still do this. People would roll their eyes and get nauseated at us. And clearly that's not what we're doing. But No, because making the NCAA tournament is irrelevant. Oh, now it's, it's not. Now it's the only thing, right? Well, sure, sure, sure. But I guess what I'm saying is yes. there there was a world always to me where, like, the end wasn't – like, I, I think there was a situation where if Mike Bianca loses, God forbid, another game three in a Super Regional where he was the number seven national seed, that he is the coach at Ole Miss in 2023. Yeah. I do not think there is a situation outside – and you can – Tell me if you agree. I think if they don't host a regional, I think Mike has got to get the College World Series to save his job. Oh, I think that's 100% true. And so that's not the only way to view this season. Can they get in the tournament to give themselves a chance to do something they've never done in the Bianca era? I mean, you're talking about long odds here, but in terms of the big picture and, like, the hot board, I just – I don't know what – like, I don't know what the point, I guess, is talking about, like, who they're going to hire until it's completely imminent. I think it feels imminent. I think we all know it's going that way. But – Again, like you said, let them lose two next weekend, but there's stranger things have happened. They could go nine and six. I'm not banking on it. It's just, I don't know. I feel like we're one week away from just completely throwing the hands up and saying, all right, let's try to find something else to talk about over the last couple of weeks. And so maybe I jumped the shark a bit in that sense. I think I'm about 90% confidence going that way, but I'll open up that 10% for them to go nine and six. And so that's kind of where we're at. And I guess to kind of make it a big picture thing, we just outlined, we all know where this is headed. How does this change what they do? Like, that, that, you know, the last time this happened, he was dead in the water in 2019. We've talked about this a bunch, about the change in mindset. The team starts playing looser. You've got the dugout antics with Zach Phillips. They're only wearing powder blue. They're a lot looser. They're a lot having fun. They don't have that move in the bag this time because they're just not good enough. So, like, what do they do differently now? Or you just hope for a better result doing the same thing? Like, what changes? You, you just hope that the guys that – I'll say it like this. At some point, does the guys that are, you know – do you kind of look at the guy across the – that's wearing number five and, and, and is the leader of this team and, and the head coach of this team and it's like, you know – we're not very good right now, but it, it, isn't it kind of hard to play for the guy that tried to leave you last year? 
Like it, it, oh, it'd be kind of hard for me, you know. Um, it'd be really hard for me to, 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 you know, hey, things aren't going well, and you can sit there and yell at me and, and tell me, hey, we got to fight through this adversity. Well, what through some adversity last year, and your ass went to Birmingham and tried to get the LSU job. So, um, I don't know. It's it's a bad situation. Now, does pride play into it at some point? Yeah. I, I mean, do I think Kevin Graham and Tim Elko and Justin Bench want to go out like this? I don't. I don't think they want to be remembered for this. I dang sure know Tim Elko doesn't, and, and, and I'm really confident those other two guys don't either. Um, so does, does pride play into it, and do you give yourself a chance just because, you know, hey, you're wearing an Ole Miss jersey and, you know, you're playing for your last name that's on the back of that jersey? Yeah, I think at some point that maybe kicks in. Um, but it's to the point where it's like, man, it's now or never. And, and I know we said that last weekend, but it is literally now or never. I mean, you, you roll off this weekend six and 12, and, and I don't know how this gets solved. Um, it's, uh, it's a dire situation right now. Uh, big picture-wise, it's just like, you know, it's kind of either – it's just now we're literally waiting to the middle of June to see if they finish their year in the College World Series or not before we have another discussion. Right, and the only way you can – Let me ask you this, though. Let me ask you this, though. Is it better for Ole Miss if this just goes to hell? Because I, I can make an argument it is. Go ahead and make that argument. I don't know the answer. Like I, I'd have to think about that for a second. What's your argument? If you're going to, so if you're going to make the move, um, yeah. Well, that's that's if you're going to make the move, isn't it better for Ole Miss that you don't do it after he loses two in a super regional or gets put out on a Monday and you know Los Angeles or something? Whereas he goes eight and twenty-two and it's like, oh yeah, it was just Tom. Um, and I don't think they're going eight and 22. I don't think they're quite that bad. Um, but does that like, cause look, Mike Bianco, we can talk about this all we want. And, you know, about his managerial decisions. He is well-respected within the college baseball community. He's a team USA manager. Um, it just feels like an eight and 22, um, is a lot harder to sell to, you know, bringing in new candidates than the guy that went 14 and 16 and lost on a Monday in, in Los Angeles or lost in two games in a super regional to Florida or whatever. It just kind of seems like that would be a much easier sell. I would, I, I like, I agree with your line of thinking in that sense, but at the end of the day, if they get into a regional and just say they're even competitive or just say they're not, say they go two and through, this team was better than that. Pitching aside, sure. all their other issues aside, it was a – even if they make the tournament and they they fizzle out as a two or a three seed, it's still a colossal failure based on the expectations of this team. I don't know if it was his fault because it just turned out the guys just weren't good, right? Like, they're not losing as bad as they are this season and they're not in this position because of him per se. Right, it's it's not a hor- horrific coaching job. It's the Jimmys and Joes not executing. But at a certain point, you bear responsibility for that. Like it's it's the and we get into the bigger picture part of it in sense of like I'm not absolving him from blame of why this team stinks. It's a you know there's a lot to be had about a lot to be discussed about like the lack of pitching development and like why they have no pitching. Sure, but just simply from the standpoint of like. He's not making decisions on a week-in and week-out basis that's directly costing them games. They're just not performing well enough. And I, that was kind of a long-winded way of saying, of, does it matter that much? Because like, I think, they'll, I think it's, you could still make a pretty clear-cut case and argument to an outsider that wants the job that, hey, it was time. It was one Omaha appearance in 20 20- Let me ask you this. Can you make that argument to the guy that's in Louisville, Kentucky right now? Yeah, I think you can. Okay, that's a, that's all I was really intimating. 
I don't know, that, but that doesn't mean I don't. I don't know anything about that. I don't know what he would take. Right, it. Either. I don't know if the thinking's changed on the whole. He won't take it if Mike's fired. I don't know anything about that. But I think you can certainly make that argument. And guess who's you know the guy that hired Dan McDonald at Louisville is not there anymore. And I don't think you should discount that factor of it. Um, He's not. And the the new AD part of it is it doesn't sound like that's the chummiest relationship of all time. I guess I just leave it. It did that. it did feel like if Mike had gone to LSU last year that Ole Miss could have hired Dan McDonald. Didn't well, it feel like that yeah. to you? Did we didn't we talk about it at the time on the podcast that we did? It would probably be the best thing for all involved. The problem was he was never really that. I say serious of a candidate. That's not fair. He was never getting. No, the he was interviewed. He was serious enough. But yeah. yeah, you know, he was serious, but he was not getting the job unless they, it really really fell through. Like he was not a. Disc one, option A says no, option B is Mike Bianco. It wasn't that he kind of got played. But remember us talking about at the time, it was kind of the best thing for all involved if he just walked away? Yeah. No, it's uh, – yeah, it would have been best for really everybody. You gave, gave Mike a fresh start, gets McDonald in here, and, yeah, it's – uh, yeah, it would have been it would have been best for everyone involved. It's – um, man, it's set up for an interesting – Month and a half. Frankly, it's set up for an interesting week if they drop the next drop the series the next weekend. Yeah, um, it's uh, but to, to bring it back to the point, I, we I kind of had one point I wanted to get into. I kind we kind of got sidetracked in terms of like what's the move? We talked about Mike loosening up in nineteen. This is a players thing now, right? There's nothing Mike can do. This is kind of a players taking it into their own hands of hey, we don't want to go out this way. We kind of want to give ourselves a chance to make the NCAA tournament because at the end of the day that's kind of what's costing them. The offense has been terrible. Like, they need to be better defensively. Yes, the pitching is what it is, but, like, they need to be better. The position players, I guess, in that sense, need to be better. So it's a matter of do these guys want to go out that way. But I don't think there's a button Mike Bianco can press. But you hit on the interesting part of it is, are they less likely to do the whole let's rally around this and let's kind of overcome this adversity given the guy that when they overcame a fair share amount of adversity last year to get where they got immediately went and interviewed for the LSU job, sent them that bizarre text about how, you know, of course, like insinuating they'd understand because it's LSU and they'll always listen. It's like, actually, I don't think Kevin Graham probably necessarily understands that. You know what I mean? Like that was a, that was quite the leap to make. Is it, is it harder for them to do that because of what happened last year? I have no idea what the answer is to that, but I'm, I'm fascinated as to what the mindset. I remember when, when all this happened and we said, you know, I, cause I remember vividly having this conversation. I don't know if it was on a podcast or not, but I remember us talking and it was like, you know, I, because we all said, hey, you know, fans are going to be pissed off. He went and interviewed for LSU, and then he's back at Ole Miss. And it's like, it's going to turn toxic if ne- – and this was last year I was saying this. It's going to turn toxic if next year doesn't go well, but I think they're too talented for it to not go well. Yep. Um, we were wrong. They, you they were, were wrong. not too talented for it to not go well. It is not going well, and it is very toxic right now. You remember when the pitching was just average earlier in the year? And, you know, we, like, caught ourselves for a second trying to be like, well, why is Mike going with this versus this heading into that UCF series or whatever? And it was like, it doesn't matter. They're going to hit there enough to where I don't think he can score. Yeah. Boy, was that wrong, too. <laughs> like, we, but I don't – this is what we do. This is the – like, this is the – I don't think people listen to us because we're right all the time. Like, I, I, no one that does this business is that. We're certainly not right. We are sorely wrong on this. But even on top of that, you can't tell me even the biggest pessimist about Ole Miss baseball would, thought they were right about this offense. You know what I mean? That's the most head-scratching part about it, right? Everyone thought they would hit, and they're not hitting. That's, 
really the simplest way to put this. I mean, it's – Well, it's like for what, four weeks when his offense wasn't very good, what did we say every time we came on here about the offense? They'll be fine. They'll figure it out. I don't think they're figuring it out. They I are not fine. Really I'll put it that way. They are not – I would – I would. I, you know, <laughs> I title this podcast episode, is it time to – Not fine. <laughs> Is it time to start getting worried about old Mrs. Hosting chances? Well, what what so, do you think so you would like, do if I titled it that? You know, like the the group me app. Yeah, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So we have a we have like a group me of like 25 or 30 like young younger old Miss fans, and and we're at the point like where the offense. You know how you can like change the name of the group. Yes. The group's name is Besides Tim Elko because like, oh, you know, I like when that. you're talking about <laughs> because. It's just implied now that you're when you're talking about the offense and its struggles and how frustrated you are. It's everyone besides Tim Elko at this point. Um, it is, uh, it's as bad as I've. Let me ask you this, and and I may have asked you this last week. Is it as toxic of of a situation have you seen uh, with Ole Miss baseball since you've been following it? Um, twenty thirteen was bad. It was bad. And you're talking about from a overall temperature of the program and the, like the fan base and the way people feel about it. We're to, just to be clear, I know what you're getting yeah. at. You're not talking yeah. about inside the locker room because we don't. No, 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 no. I have we, no idea what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yes, I would say so. But honestly, at that point in 13, he had never done it and they were still new. Like I say, Ole Miss was still a little bit new to success in college baseball in that sense. To where this one, it's not like less toxic, but there's like every, I felt like in 13 more people were mad to where there's a certain faction now that's like, maybe they're mad when the games are playing. But other than that, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm checked out. Like talk to me when the new. Well, that's, that's, is that not a bigger issue? Oh, I think it's worse. Yeah. No, I think that maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe that makes it more toxic. I'll ask you this. And and so this, I'm about to say something really weird. All right. What do you think crowds will look like this weekend when state rolls in? I mean, it's double. It's double decker weekend, and it's super, uh, super whatever. Uh, Grove Bowl. Yeah, they'll be big. It's state. Okay. Is that a? Is that? Is that? It's not an indictment of Ole Miss and Mike Bianco, but is it a? Does that not tell you something that you can put on a very bad product and you're still going to get over twelve thousand? Well, like, I'm, I'm looking took, forward to look at it. I'm looking at it. To, to, a better way. Because I, I, I agree. What with I guess I'm saying is the program sells itself. If it was Missouri or, yeah, Auburn. Let's just say Auburn. Say Auburn was coming in. Now, they're a good team, and it wasn't double-decker weekend. Do you? If it was Auburn and double-decker had already happened, do you think the attendance would be affected? Because I actually kind of tend to think yes. Well, I think I think, so, it would be fed, I think I think enough people maybe are fed up with it. Because, so, like, my dad's a season ticket holder. And they've yeah, been – Particularly when, when since my, my myself and my two younger brothers, uh, obviously we went to Ole Miss. Ever since we'd gotten out of high school, he got into the baseball game. We didn't do it growing up. Um, we did football, and that was kind of it. He'll still go, but like he's as frustrated as anyone. Like I just think if they they weren't double decker this weekend, I, I I think he might be a guy that's kind of like I mean I'll go because I like the seats or whatever, but like. Am I going to stay for the Sunday game? Am I going to go to the Saturday game? And have another option, or am I going to give it to someone else? Like he, I guess I, I was talking to him about it this weekend. He seems as frustrated as anyone else, and like that's a guy that just enjoys going to the games. And if he's kind of pondering the idea of, well, the hell with this. I mean, he's well, gone up there four times. I, I know, but four times this year, and he hasn't seen an SEC win yet. 
I know it's only two SECs. So, you get my point. Like, the two, I guess to me, well, I'm rambling. If it was any other weekend than double decker against state, I think you might finally start to see the attendance tipping point. So I'll put it like this. Um, I consider myself a pretty big Ole Miss fan, um, especially when it comes to baseball. I have nothing to do on Thursday night and probably nothing to do on Saturday afternoon. I am not going to Oxford to watch that baseball team right now. Um, I, you know, it's a 140-mile round trip uh, for me on Thursday night that, that I've got to be back and teach school on Friday morning. Um, and then on Saturday, it's, you know, I can stay up there on Saturday. But still, I, it, it's to the point where I wonder if people are checked out. And, and, and I guess he saved a little bit. Because, you know, it is double-decker, it's Grove Bowl weekend and all those things. But I, what's funny is, like, I could make an argument that the big crowds, even if, like, 12,000 people show up to watch you play Mississippi State as a 5-10 and 10 baseball team, I would argue that doesn't help him a whole lot because what that tells me is, okay, this program sells itself. Um, they, could, they could be, you know, 12 and 24 and they would still get 11,000 people here because people just love the, the – love Swayze and love to be able to be there. I don't necessarily think big crowds are a good – I'm not going to say they're a bad thing. I just – I don't think the crowd size this matter is going to matter in, in, at all for – Not know, helping you at this point. No. No. No, I'm with you on that. So, I have, I'll, I'll kind of chime in and give a similar experience. Is I have a bachelor trip this weekend on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. A buddy of mine getting married, big golf guy, and he wants to go play golf down there for a couple of days. And when I saw – and he didn't know this at the time, right? They announced double-decker later than he planned the trip. But, like, when I saw it initially, I was like – I mean, not that I'm not excited of going on the trip. I don't know if this guy listens to the podcast or not, so I don't want to make it sound like I'm dreading going on the trip. That's not the case at all. But, like, I guess point being, when I saw it lined up, I was like, damn. Like, that was kind of – living out in Dallas now, that was – I want to try to make it back for a series or a, a series or two a year. That was definitely one of the ones I was aiming at. You get to see a lot of people you hadn't seen in a while. You know, hopefully watch what was supposed to be a big series – about a week and a half ago, the way this was going, I was kind of like, eh, it's going to be kind of nice playing golf and not having to, like you – know, Watch that? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to watch it. Don't get me wrong because it's our job to do that, and I'm going to watch as much of it as I can, and I'll watch the Thursday night game in the airport and blah, blah, blah. But I, I hate to, to use the uh, to use a millennial term. I won't have any fear of missing out and not being there. Like, I, I wasn't no, – like, for no a while, problem. I was kind of like, damn. Like, I kind of wanted to go bad. I hate I can't do both. Or now I'm like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. Like, I don't, I'm not as upset about missing it that weekend, too. And there's no way we're the only two people that feel that way. There's just no way. Um, I'm not going. Like, I, I, <laughs> I, mean, I have nothing to do on a Thursday night. Uh, I couldn't have gone to the Alabama or the Tennessee series if I wanted to. I had baseball games that Friday and Saturday, and I wasn't going on Sunday. I actually did go to Tennessee on Saturday, and I was I wasn't going on Sunday to Alabama after they had lost the first two because I was already pissed off. Um, I could go on Thursday and Saturday this week. I'm just not. It's it's I don't know. It's a weird situation. And look, I I don't think I don't think it's turned into apathy. Like I could argue maybe the basketball situation has. By the way, uh, big commitment for them the other day. Um, I saw Loyola, and then I was like, oh shit, not that. Yeah, I did too. It's <laughs> like. Oh, that one. Yeah, they're, so, they're so screwed. Anyways, um, they're so screwed. But, yeah, it's like I, I just – it's to the point where I'm reading spring football recaps. And, I, and, and, and look, I love 
Ole Miss football as much as the next guy, but um, not a big spring football guy because usually I can just fixate myself on baseball, but it's to the point this year. It's like, wow, Luke Altmar's having a pretty good spring, huh? Two thoughts to wrap up this discussion is like the, the if it, what if it's not great? What if there's like not, what if there's like nine on Thursday? Like what if it's just like nine nine and seven or something? That's kind of telling, isn't it? You won't be able to necessarily. It is, but, it in the stand. But, but I think I'm to the point. Like I'm, I'm talking about crowd size. I don't think it matters. I think it's no, no, eighteen, it 18 it just, and sixteen. Okay, let them lose two this weekend. Then they whatever happens to Arkansas. I would like to oh see crowd size. Do we? Find, I just want to see. We ever want to see it? You know, people. It's the whole argument of like, well, people are going to show up no matter if they suck or not. Well, well you can see. Let them go six and twelve. Let's just say they get one in Arkansas, so that's seven and, seven and what is it? What does a Mizzou crowd look like with them at seven and fourteen? That's actually kind of what I'm fascinated with. Oof. What is that? Um, that would that would be the tell, right? That would be that would tell you all you needed to know about whether they just keep showing up or not. Oh, if they got ten thousand from one of those Mizzou games, I think I might just be like, these people are psycho. What what, <laughs> what a psychotic move! What is wrong with you folks? <laughs> and I say that kidding. I get. I'm not going to shame anyone for wanting to go to a baseball game and enjoy a day at you know a ballpark. I get that aspect of it. But if they get ten thousand in a Missouri series when they're seven and fourteen, I, I will. I guess I'll just throw a hand up and like maybe these people will literally show up for anything. I don't know. Like, At that point, they're the best fan base in the country, right? Yeah. It, oh, absolutely. <laughs> you could whatever that whatever you know non-provable thing you want to throw on social media for that Twitter account. Is you, that part you, of your recruiting? Yeah. No. Exactly. Yeah, I think so. You bet. Like, we will literally, if we were in nuclear war, we would still get ten thousand a game. Come coach here. Do you remember how? Uh, so you remember last year when they announced the. Uh, uh, regionals early, and they were like, they're only going to have 50% attendance. I'm like, uh-huh, oh, good luck. There was, people were ready to riot. <laughs> good luck. So, last thought before we get to the SEC and get out of here, because I feel like we need to give at least the listeners a taste of the big picture thought, because guess what? Sure. People are listening because the pitchforks and the tiki torches are gathered up. That's what our listenership looks like, I imagine, right now. Yeah. What does the new guy need to do differently in your mind? Uh, go to the college world series. Okay. <laughs> okay, fair enough. From a pro, I think that's actually a good way to put it. But from like a program building standpoint, you think about this, and I, I'm I'm seriously because you you would know way more about this than I do. This is an Ole Miss program. If you want to look at the skeleton of this program, they mm-hmm. th- Stephen State has a little bit better scholarship situation with the Alabama. Yeah, so this is about as generic of an 11.7 situation as humanly possible and until nil catches up to baseball it's going to remain that way this is a program that was built on frontline starters mm-hmm. really good offenses with athletic guys he basically just recruited a bunch of shortstops kind of plug and play wherever and he always figured the rest out and i think the missed evals on those frontline starting pitchers is now coming home to roost right it's the drew mcdaniel it's yep. the Derek diamond conversation blah 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 just in terms of how guys build programs, if you're an Ole Miss, if you're the new head coach at Ole Miss, assuming it gets to that point, just curious, would you do it any differently? Would you like to see it done any differently, if that makes any sense at all? I'd recruit Mississippi better. Okay, um, that's a great to. point. So how how and why? Um, obviously, I'm not privy to, to scholarship percentages and that type of thing. I'm not. 
Um, and I want to make this clear. Mike has done a very, very good job. Mike, Carl, and Clem have done a very good job about, about getting intertwined with certain travel teams, um, especially in Florida and Georgia and that type of thing. They've done a really good job. Uh, they've been able to go to, into Illinois and, and get a guy like Cooper Johnson and, and Max Chothe and, and those types of things. But for, for whatever reason, I don't feel like – and look, there's obviously some Mississippi guys on this team that, that have helped them, you know, with, with Dunhurst and, and whatnot. Um, but you, it to me, it feels kind of – kind of falls a little – and look, I'm one that their scholarship disadvantage is real. But it kind of falls a little on deaf ears um, to some when, when you talk about the scholarship advantage and you don't take advantage of, you know, the guys that can help you in Mississippi. I mean, Mississippi State does a really good job of recruiting Mississippi kids, and some of that can be argued, well, they have more money. I get that. Um, but but I do think Ole Miss. Um, if I had one one uh, complaint about you know the way Bob's recruited over his 22 years is I don't think they've done as good of a job as maybe they could have in recruiting Mississippi kids. And and people may have argued I'm wrong, but those Mississippi kids cost less money. Um, you know, just from a out of state tuition standpoint compared to in state and, and that type of thing. I, I just would think if you know, you're going to operate on 11.8. It would that you would do a very good job of, of recruiting Mississippi, which is, you know, uh, why I have backed a certain candidate, uh, assuming they could not hire the guy at Louisville, um, because I think recruiting in this state is is um, extremely important if you want to be successful at one of these in-state programs. And hasn't State done a better job of that, despite the more money they have? I mean, you're just even talking about it's yeah. even an athletic thing. Like I mean, look. I'm no, I was no scholar coming up in myself, but like I got the MTAG deal. Like there's, there's, yeah. you know, that's a small thing, but like there was, there's ways if you're a good student as an in-state kid, to to kind of finagle around that. And I, I think that's probably fair that they to say that they haven't necessarily used that to their advantage, um, totally. So I'm with you on that one. I think that's a good point as well. And the candidate you're alluding to, just for full disclosure, is Butch Johnson, correct? Thompson. Yeah. Tom, did I just say Johnson? You did. Yeah, it's been a long day. Butch Thompson at all. <laughs> By the way, do you know Tim Hudson's the pitching coach? The broadcast never mentions that. Anyway. Um, no, no clue. No, it's a Butch Thompson, which would be interesting. Like, uh, last thing, because people, I think people, this is what people want to hear at this point. What's the pitch to Butch Thompson? What is your pitch to Butch Thompson? Um, Auburn has gotten better outside of last year. Uh, every single year he's been there. They, they've oh, no, been no, in a regional. You don't have to sell him. What's your pitch to him? I think, oh, what is I think my, everyone if I, knows if I'm he's a baseball coach. He got Auburn to the Yomaha. Like he, that, that's not a great job. What's your pitch to him? I think people know he's a good coach. Uh, we got more money. Uh, we got more scholarships than Auburn. Now, not much more. Um, this is home. Um, frankly, I don't think it would have to be a – I don't think it would be a hard pitch. I, I think, hey, you're from what – how far is Amory from Oxford? 50 miles down the road. Um you have you can win more here than you can at Auburn if you do it correctly. I don't think it would be. Look, I don't know what Ole Miss is if if it comes to this. I don't I don't know what Keith Carter's list is going to be from a one through five perspective. Um, but I don't I don't think Butch Thompson, if you offered the right amount of money, would say no. And maybe I'm wrong in that. I could be, but um, I don't know anything. I don't know the guy, but man, I I I don't know how if you're gonna you know offer him what I think Ole Miss could offer a baseball coach, how he would elect to stay at Auburn. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm happy. But um, I just I, – I have the belief that, that he would – you know, I, I just have to believe that he would take this job. 
Fair enough. Maybe we'll do one of these a week to slow play the hell out of it. At least we gave the people a taste <laughs> an hour and a half into this podcast of uh, some big picture stuff. Let's go look around the SEC real quick and get the hell out of here. My Missouri Tigers, I predicted a sweep, I believe. You did? Show. They did not, but they did take two. Um, they're not the worst team in the SEC, even if their record no. shows it, because they had a brutal start to the conference. So, I mean, those poor suckers played Vanderbilt, Arkansas, Tennessee. Three out well, of one of those points. things is not like the other at this point. Yeah, that is that is that is very very true. Um, so they get two out of three at Kentucky. I think Kentucky just stinks. Mingione probably getting canned there. Um, LSU gets swept at Arkansas. In a they re- stink. You think LSU stinks? I do. I don't think they're Ole Miss. I don't think they stink as bad as Ole Miss. They're not good. They're really bad defensively. They are. I know they swept State and Starville last weekend, but I don't believe in that. Um, Georgia loses two or three at home to AM. I don't necessarily get Georgia. Jonathan Cannon was out. Oh, um, that's, but he's – so that he did the whole – we talked about this on Thursday. He did the, – they had the whole forearm tightness, but apparently it's not. Yeah. John, I mean, where have you heard that before? Like, I mm, mm-hmm. don't love that. They lost – Hey, when he goes out there and throws 88 next week, uh, maybe keep an eye on it. They lost game three, 23 to nine. They do not pitch it. Beyond him, no. No. Um, Florida loses a competitive series at Vanderbilt. Actually kind of tough. No, out. Florida won that series, didn't they? They yeah. lost that? They lost two out of three. They had to fend off a sweep today in ten innings. Um, they lost five to really? four, eight to six. Two very, very competitive games. Actually caught a little bit of that Saturday game because it was a night game, two really competitive games. Honestly, if you're talking about a team that's going to like end up as like a back-end host, them grinding out that game today after two really tough ones on the road and avoiding a sweep, like that's a that's a, you don't feel great about going home like losing two out of three, but avoiding the sweep and figuring out that one I felt like was pretty important. Okay, for whatever reason I thought they won on Thursday. Yeah, that is that is a big one for Florida. Uh you just got to kind of hope Barco's healthy for them. He obviously leaves the game on Thursday night and Sully didn't seem too concerned, um, but yeah, it's uh, that's, that's definitely a big win. That's uh, one that you know, weird how it works. You don't want to get swept. State takes two or three from Auburn. They kind of steal the Thursday night game. They win pretty handily on Friday, and they were damn close to stealing that uh, that Saturday game or game three as well. And you know, we talked about Ole Miss. Can they go up to South Carolina if you can find, somehow find a way to manage three? You really change the conversation. State got close to that. But they're kind of mirror image of each other of each other at this point. And State kept their NCAA tournament of hopes on – I mean, life support's strong because I think that's where Ole Miss is. But they kept it in the mix. They're still very much in the mix. No, I'll, I'll go on life support there just because their RPI is uh, not that's great. Um, not totally equal. But, I mean, no, I'm completely saying that. I, I think Ole Miss is on life support too. Um, but I think the uh, I think the loser this weekend gets the, pull, the plug pulled on them. Uh, oh, yeah. I, ooh, there we go. Loser leaves town. College baseball edition. Love that. I think you're exactly right, though. That's actually a – can we call hey, this, this – the, This is the super regional that we didn't get in This one, Yeah, this is – this may not be the super regional we want, but it's the one we deserve. Because for them, obviously a much different situation. But, like, you don't want to miss the NCAA tournament a year after winning a national title. It doesn't look – I mean, look, it doesn't really matter, but it doesn't look great. But next year was supposed to be the rebuild year, to be honest. They're not supposed to be this bad. So, I like that. 
Um, where else am I going? What did I miss? What did I miss? Tennessee takes two or three from Alabama. Alabama takes the Thursday night game. I was really rooting. I don't root hard for pretty much anybody, but man, I was rooting for Alabama to take the second game of that series today. It didn't end up happening. Vitello, four game suspension for bumping. Um, What's your thoughts? He's He's insufferable, right? Yeah, he. I went from this guy's kind of spicy to what? What's your problem? What's this guy's deal? Yeah, he he. I, I got no use for them. Um, look, I'm 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 a guy that's completely fine with the Louisville and the Vanderbilts of the world. I don't have to like them when they play my team, but you know, I I have little issue with the chirping and and stuff that you know comes along with playing Vanderbilt, Louisville, and those types of teams. Um, Tennessee stuff's overboard. Um, yeah. I, I got no use for them. I, I hope they lose every game they, they play. That's uh, that's ridiculous. And then, the, the, did you see the West Rucker stuff? Yeah, so <laughs> West Rucker oh, just king of the takes. You remember that guy they threw all the shit on the field? They were, like, throwing golf balls and mustard. They, I mean, Lane Kiffin almost got dumbed with a golf ball. He barehanded – did he barehand the golf ball? I can't remember what it was. It doesn't matter. He and barehanded West, the uh, water bottle, didn't he? Yeah, that's what it was. You're right. It's the water bottle. And, like, West Rucker's take on that was – yeah, this isn't great, but don't give me – he was like, it, it's, you know, a decade of frustration. It's like, what are oh, you Oh, that's – uh, my favorite part was uh, after the fourth down call that was obviously correct to anybody with functioning eyeballs. Uh, Wes Rucker tweeted, Tennessee fans should riot. And then they rioted, and he deleted it. Yeah, that's not great. I mean, you know, had that happened on January 6th, that man might be behind bars. But anyway – Neither here nor there. That's insufferable. The, what did you make of the Vitello thing? Because I saw one of the Tennessee broadcasters, like was ba- Todd Helton, I think, was saying, well, the umpire really sold that bump. He came okay. after that guy. I didn't think maybe the So, umpire, so there's history there. Like there. There's history there. Um, that guy threw out Tennessee's volunteer assistant in Omaha last year. Um, and they were obviously frustrated with the strike zone last uh, – on Friday, I believe. So, do you know how that started, by the way? No. Okay, so it started, and, and they were already on the field because Dolander was pitching. Alabama hits a line drive off of Dolander. It goes to the first baseman. The first baseman touches first. Okay. Well, they come to check on him, and apparently their pitching coach thinks he heard Alabama's dugout say something. So he, like, fires back at them, and then Bohannon says something back, and the umpire gets in the way. Anyways, their pitching coach gets ejected. Um, and then Votello, because he's a hot-headed loon, um, goes at the umpire and, and bumps him. And he knew exactly what he was doing. Like, either one of two things are true. Um, he's an adult man-baby and decided it was time to push an umpire, or two, he just wanted to cause a scene. And, and I, you know, it, neither one of those are good. It's, it's embarrassing when you consider the, the, the bat thing and, um, you know, the, the, the pushing of an umpire, like, well, what are we doing? I mean, I don't know if you saw this in Mississippi this week, an umpire got, you know, a lady got arrested for uh, allegedly hitting an umpire in the eye. We I don't think it's a great for a reason. Yeah. I don't think it's a great look that the grown men that are paid hundreds of thousands, if not billions of dollars are out there pushing umpires. I don't, I don't really think that's what's best for baseball right now. Not to be the college baseball, like snob gatekeeper guy, but isn't Tennessee the definition of new money? In terms of yeah, just not knowing I'm how to with act it. with the success, like the West Rucker thing, where he's like Alabama just act like they, they won the national title. It's like no, they didn't. They won a huge ass Friday night game on the road in 
in, in the heat of SEC play? Like, are, wait, where, where have you been the last 10 years? Like, yes, was it maybe a little bit more because they, you know, they gave Tennessee their first SEC loss? But, like, you saw the video of the celebration that he tweeted. It's like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, this happens every Friday night in this league because you only get 30 of these suckers, and you go steal a Friday night game on the road, whether it's South Carolina or at Tennessee, it's a big deal. Like, what are you talking about? It, it, I see it from other parts of their media, too. Um, in other in other stuff, and it's like you guys just talk about just keeping up with college baseball for the last three months and not at all. Like, what, what, what are you talking about? How do you think this sport um, works? Do you know how insufferable of a team you have to be for me to if you? And I know they've already played, but if they played Vanderbilt tomorrow, I would root for Vanderbilt, and I hate Vanderbilt a lot, and and I would absolutely without a doubt root for Vanderbilt over that team right now. Hell, they're going to come to startable here in about a month, and I might just root for Mississippi State to beat them three times. I, I, that, that team is I, – I, there has never been a team I hope misses the College World Series more than them. Yeah, that would uh, – I mean, I guess you can only have – I mean, if you have two bad days in June, like it can't happen. But, man, they still – Hell, sometimes one, one bad day. That is true. One bad day. Um, the, I don't know. Like, it's – yeah, they're very unlikable. I'm all for a villain, but like this villain isn't even fun. Like it's, they don't seem like a fun villain at all. Um, did I miss a series? Did we cover all of them? I think that was uh, we got to each and every one of them. I'm gonna make yeah. sure. Yeah, we got yeah. them. Well, I uh, I appreciate the time, my man. We'll um, I guess we'll be back out at Wednesday as we just I don't even know what there would be to talk about, but we'll find a way. <laughs> Maybe we'll review another hot board candidate. But I appreciate the time as always. This is fun. <laughs> Sounds good, my man. All right, that is our show. If you made it to the end, I appreciate you guys making us a part of your day. Always appreciate the interaction with the uh, podcast. I uh, it, It's never lost on me how uh, the engagement with the uh, listeners and everything. It was funny after Ole Miss's frustrating loss on Saturday, getting uh, some messages from folks that talking about can't wait to hear the pod on Saturday or Sunday, whatever the case may be. I really appreciate that. It is uh, certainly, like I said, not lost on me and uh, certainly makes – doing this every week uh, a lot more fun and a lot easier because it wouldn't be a ton of fun if you find folks out there didn't listen Colin and I'll be back at it sometime in the midweek probably have a little bit of different podcast schedule I'm traveling this week to the uh, fine Gulf Coast of Mississippi so we'll uh, we'll see how the pod rolls um, this week but certainly get another episode out before the uh, double decker weekend against Mississippi State and all that maybe have a guest there in the midweek in between we will uh, we'll just see. But um, I hope you guys had a wonderful and safe Easter weekend, and I hope you guys have a great start to your week. Thanks for making this podcast a small part of it, and uh, we'll catch you later on in the week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website 
are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.